podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouting on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? A solid seven. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, we are speaking on a Monday after Liverpool 3, Bournemouth 1. Uh, we both did post-match Raw along with Guy, who's with us recording in the background. So no need to really rehash what Liverpool did at the weekend, Carl, unless there's anything you think we missed on Raw. Um, otherwise, you had some ideas for where we'd take this today. So I'm just going to let you drive the bus on this one. Very well. Are we including the uh, dogs and fields and holes and all that in this? Or well, we, we can if you discussion? want. We can if you want. I mean, my... my um, my dabbling in the art of farming is uh, becoming my new hobby, and I was merely explaining to to Trev and 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 uh, Adam on Twitter yesterday that we we were discussing cars, and I was saying I want to actually get rid of my car and get a get a van because the van would be more practical for me now. But what I would actually like to do is get a tractor. But my missus has said that just because we have a field, it does not mean we are farmers and therefore she's not allowing me to have a tractor. And I was explaining that I don't really want to farm. I just want to drive the tractor around. And a couple of months ago, I did get a lend of a mini digger and dug a big ass hole in my field and then just filled it back in again because I was bored. And what else was I going to be doing with myself? And, I mean, uh, I, other people have hobbies, mate. You know, you could you could do this. Well, this is my hobby: uh, <laughs> digging holes and and ma- generally making a nuisance of myself. Um, I have since. Now, I will say in in June, before the incredibly wet July, I did dig forty holes in the field to plant apple trees because I was going to turn it into like a bit of an orchard type of thing. And then the pistons of rain came and all my holes basically got filled in with rain and then collapsed on themselves. So um, I didn't get to plant my, my apple trees. Um, so, yeah, that that's basically the extent of my of my farming uh, as things currently stand. But I, I'm enjoying it. And I, 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 I don't know that I'm bothering anybody else. None of the neighbours have really complained. One or two gave me some strange looks. Um, that live like kind of across the hill on the other side of the of the valley um or a, across on the hill on the other side of the valley as we should say and uh, they they kind of have given me some strange looks in the last little while when I've seen them in the shop because I you know I dug a hole and then filled it in for no apparent reason and I'm guessing they assume I buried something or someone in it 
But I can assure them and any on-listening law enforcement, I buried nothing in the field. I did just dig a hole for the sake of digging a hole. I mean, that is almost as much of a waste of time as the last three minutes of this podcast, let's be perfectly honest. It wasn't a waste of time at all. I, this is this is outrageous. This was it, this was a valuable waste of my time learning to operate a mini digger in a proper and safe manner, which your missus will not let you have. Or no, you have the, the mini digger. I don't actually want to buy one, but a tractor. I, I, I listen. At some point, I'm going to get myself a tractor, <laughs> and if I have to, I'll I'll leave it at someone else's farm and just go and, and play with it when she's at work. <laughs> I, I would like to be there for this conversation if that's okay. <laughs> just listening in on the wall, little spider. You know, Nego- negotiations will 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 be revisited. Revisited come next sort of February March, I think. I think that's the best time of the year to approach her on the on the topic, and uh, just generally start to wear her down on the idea. Um, I have already sourced quite a quite a decent a decent deal on one, and her brother is a mechanical genius, and he can do any of the maintenance work I need. So, you know, I I I, I have myself I have the I have the plan in place. Um, I just need to just need to get around her her uh, blocking of of the, of the grand scheme, you know. I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm, need. Just... <laughs> right, football stuff then. Yeah, football's not buried in fields, and football's not in tractors. Here we go. I um, tell you one thing, though, Carl. After 15 minutes on so- Saturday, I was prepared to bury the whole fucking lot. In the <laughs> just, just next time, leave the hole, just in case we do need it for anything. You know, mm. anything at all. I'm not specifying, just anything. Um, let's start with McAllister. We've appealed. Are we going to be successful? I, I don't have any confidence in them overturning the red cards, but I do wonder if they might reduce the reduce the ban. Because I think three games is utterly ridiculous. Like, as I said on the pod, I-, I can see why he gave the red card. And I can see why it wasn't overturned. I'm not buying into this, the game has gone hysteria that has swept across social media. But three games is is painfully ridiculous for what is more or less a coming together of two players. I mean, I would like there to be a little bit more... Um... I'm not sure leniency is the right word because I don't actually mean be lenient. I I mean be sensible and do the right decision. What I mean is these, these challenges where two players both go for the ball, both go to either kick or clear or tackle the ball or whatever it is, and they're both going for where the ball is. And you know when one wins it and the second one is late and then therefore gets hit by the foot, which has already cleared the ball, and then somehow that player who is late into the tackle gets the free kick. I really don't get this. That's not quite the way it happened with McAllister, obviously, because McAllister didn't get the ball first. But it happened a couple of times during our game, a couple of times in matches over the weekend as well. And yellow cards come out for you winning the ball, but following through or landing on the other player's foot afterwards if it's planted on the ground. It wasn't there to begin with. That's just where they landed because they didn't get the ball first. I would like to see better decision-making over this, but I don't really expect any change in that regard whatsoever. And... Probably the same for this as well. I'd be surprised if it got reduced at all now, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean I would I would as well. I, I would I would like to think that common sense would prevail, but I I have no expectation that it will, and unfortunately now we'll be without the player for three games, and they're three important games as well. All we can do now is hope that A 
either Curtis or Thiago or ideally both are fit for the next three games and B, that we do what we've been needing to do for six weeks now and get a defensive midfielder signed, like a starting calibre defensive midfielder. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. In which case, I think the best place to start is a question that we have on Discord. Okay. Um, Yeah. Oh, yes. This is a question from Isaac. So Isaac asked this last week. It was basically... So what he said was something brief for the next scouted. We've known LFC not having a true defensive midfielder makes reaching the elite levels we're capable of very hard, and we've known it for a while. Robbo is now proving to be an issue as well. And as Davis pointed out, it's been a while for him too. I am increasingly losing confidence that we're going to sign at least one defensive midfielder. Now, we have signed one. We have signed Waturo Endo since this question was put in and a true left-side centre-back. I think we might end up with one or the other. So in this terrible scenario, Carol Matchett, would you rather have any left-side centre-back of your choice, including those who've moved this summer, and gone without a starting calibre defensive midfielder, or would you go with one of the defensive midfielders who's actually available as of now and go without the new defender? So this for me is actually a really, really easy one. I think defensive midfield is a foundational point of most systems, but particularly the one that we have with the players that we have around it at the minute. So I would 100% now and before Endo came in and regardless of anything else this summer, even before we'd sold the players that we have, I would have made defensive midfielder the best possible one, the absolute priority. I think that because there is so much movement and so much rotation of positions, not just from Trent into the DM and not just from Robertson overlapping or trying to stay in a three, not just from the left side of the eights also being um, sort of pushing forward or pushing wider last season as, as Jones played it, pushing much further upfield, the two eights both this season that we've already seen. There's so much rotation elsewhere, so much movement which is relied upon to make the on-the-ball stuff work. The defensive midfielder and the one basically person who holds their entire position outside of the centre-backs are just so, so crucial to being, I'm not going to say making this system work because I don't believe it does at this point, but making this system even remotely plausible. So I genuinely think that if we don't have someone who has the athleticism, the positional starting sense, the shithousery at times and the ability to to play technically on the ball. I think without that person in place, we might as well just give up any hopes that we have of major success. I do think that because of the 
quality that we have in attack, we could still get some really good games and really good results this season and probably, you know, finish top four and all the rest of it without the very, very best of defensive midfielders. But that's not really what we're aiming for, certainly not over the mid-term. So I think that absolutely number one has to be the defensive mid. And if we got a very, very, very good one, I think that probably mitigates 60% of not having the perfect centre-back on the other side. Um, There's no single player on the planet right now who I think makes this system just suddenly work with all the rest of the players doing the rest of the jobs that they are at the minute. I think it's too unbalanced. I think there's too much scope for at least three players in this team to try and perform every single game, every single minute of every single game for it to genuinely be a success. But defensive midfielder would go quite a few steps towards making it more consistently successful match to match. Yeah, without question. And the defensive midfielder also becomes even more valuable when the stupidity ends and we bin this system off and go back to playing a back four, uh, which is what we did on Saturday and it's what, what ultimately won us the game. Moving away from a shape that doesn't really work for us and even with the results we had at the end of last season didn't work all that well either we had a number of games with that system where we were dreadful it's just that we played the dregs of the league we rock up to Newcastle playing that shit and we will get torn apart we are not and cannot be a Man City tribute act we cannot beat them at their own game we need to get back to playing our game and our game dictates a back four and either either a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. Don't really mind which, but we cannot beat City playing this three-box three. We just can't do it. We're not We're not going to be good enough. We're not well enough coached to do that. We look like a very badly coached team at the moment, Carl. Um, it was very clear against Chelsea that Poch won the tactics and won them quite comfortably. And I thought Bournemouth looked a better coached team than us at the weekend, we just had better quality players. So I would rather go big, sign that defensive midfielder, stick with a back four, in which case Robbo and Costas will get you through the season. Will they be good enough to win you the league? Maybe, maybe not, but I don't think the I don't think left back will I don't think Andy Robertson at left back, sorry, will completely kill our chances of having real success this season. Whereas I do think not having an elite level center, an elite level holding midfielder, I think that completely kills our chance of doing anything of real note this season. I think we might as well just give up before we start, if that's what happens. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's a number one priority that has been before. Along the same lines, uh, Mr. Ecker, if we stick with the four-three-three, do we still need a left centre back this window? Would you rather go out and get two midfielders or a DM and a left centre back if we stick with the four-three-three or back four variants? Um. Oh well, if we're if we're going to a back four, I'd want a DM and a left back. I wouldn't want a centre back. Yeah, I, I want a, I want centre backs anyway because I want upgrades on Joel and Joe, but we're not going to do that till next summer. So if we're sticking with a back four, I'd be selling Costas and bringing in a left back who can, 
who can take over from Andy Robertson, quite simply. Um, so that's that's what I would rather do. I would rather buy a defensive midfielder and an and a left back that I think is either ready to start now or will be within 18 months ready to take over from Andy Robertson and make Andy Robertson the permanent backup at that point. But I, w- I, I don't want a centre-back. I, I do want centre-backs. I just I don't care about a left-footed centre-back if we're playing a back four. Right, let's look at a couple of the people that we have been linked with then over the last day or two, um, starting with today's one of Ryan Gravenberch. We've been here before. That's the first thing to say. Where are we now? I I still would be completely against this transfer. People are living on, oh, well, he was really talented when he broke through at Ajax. That means there's a player in there somewhere. We have seen better players come through Ajax and go elsewhere and fail. Like, breaking through at Ajax at a young age is not necessarily some signal of future greatness. Uh, this idea that, well, Klopp will, will immediately get the best out of him. Will he? Why, why would we suggest that? Like, let's not pretend he's been coached by scrubs over the last couple of years. He had Ten Hag in his last year at Ajax, and he was awful. He went to Bayern. He had Julian Nagelsmann, who's one of the best development coaches around and plays a brand of football that Gravenberch should fit in well to. And then Thomas Tuchel took over, who's a European Cup-winning manager, an elite tactician, and both of them gave up on him. Both of them gave up on him. And let's not forget, when Bayern bought him, they bought him for £16 Nobody else was actually in for him. There was no competition for his signing. So he goes well below value and he goes without competition for his signature, which is all very, very strange. At Bayern, he has been dog shit. And then when he's left out of the team, the first thing he does is he rings the press and he starts whinging. Oh, I'm not in the team. I need to be playing more. I deserve to play more. Well, first of all, you deserve nothing. And secondly, if you want to be in the team, you want to play more. You've got to play well. So he, for me, he doesn't pass the sniff test. Secondly, if his issue at Bayern is he doesn't play enough, why would he be coming to Liverpool? Is he getting in the team over Dominic? Is he getting in the team over Alexis? I don't see it. And he's certainly not getting in the team as a six. Now, maybe Jan Linders might be ridiculous enough to try him as a six, but that will be a failed experiment that will end very quickly. So I don't see any logical reason for us to sign Ryan Gravenberch at all. Because even if you want to say, oh, well, you know, Thiago's injury prone, Curtis Jones and Harvey and Besetic are all eights as well and would all be, for me, above Ryan Gravenberch in a pecking order, along with Thiago. So I just don't see why he would why we would want him and why he would come to Liverpool. Like, I get that people think he was really talented when he was 16, 17, 
That's a while ago. And mm. he's had he's had done nothing to suggest since that he's worth even a hint of a gamble. And the last thing is, why would we pay thirty million? Why would Bayern be making a fourteen million profit on a player that's been an unmitigated flop for them? How does that work? Yeah, I'm not not sure about the price tags that we've been seeing. I've seen some of them suggest that's that's a bargain as well, which I'm absolutely not going along with. Certainly based on the last two years or so. Um, I also thought it was a little bit interesting. You just touched on something that you know making making a big splash at Ajax is not necessarily the be all and end all. Now we all know that loads of really really talented young players do get the chance there and do get the chance to play there, but not everybody excels after that it's really important to remember that like there are some players who will leave and go on and obviously Ajax is is the proving ground for them and they go on to do magical unbelievable things but just from that sort of time when Gravenberch was breaking through I just thought earlier today it would be a little bit interesting to look back at who the other sort of stars around that team were and what they've sort of gone on to do as well so if we look from around the um, 1920 season which was just about when he started to break through. Mm. So this is the summer after the likes of uh, Frankie de Jong and Matis de Ligt and all them sort of moved on, right? Donny van der Beek was still there. So he's obviously then the following year left for Man United and we we all know how that's gone. Um, David Neres was still there until the following year. Again, that hasn't gone well. He moved to Shakhtar, obviously that brings its own issues he could have done nothing with. But at Benfica, he's also not been sensational I think it's fair to say um, you fast forward another year Per Schurz was one of them again Liverpool were linked with him uh, defender he eventually went to Torino good but I wouldn't say unbelievable or anything like that I don't think he's been completely superb I don't think he's shown his very best level consistently either there was another midfielder coming through at the same time as Gravenberch who was called Carol Ating who a lot of people I yeah. a lot higher a lot higher at the time but he never quite, with Ajax's first team, made those steps. He went on loan to Huddersfield, then it's been Genk, and he's now at Volendam. So that obviously has not gone according to plan, let's say. Uh, Anthony, we mentioned a um, couple of the other ones. Edson Alvarez was there, obviously, at the time. He's just now moved. Mohamed Kudus, we've spoken about him lots, and we very, very much rate him. But interesting to see that... I think it's fair to say second-tier teams in the Premier League are the only ones really taking a stab at him at the minute because of agents' requirements and a few other non-Kudus-related things. Um, Brentford, Forest, West Ham, these are the, Brighton. These are the sorts of sides who have gotten to discussion stages. Um, Nusair Mazraoui, we've spoken about before, back up by Munich. Again, good player, but not set the world alight, not made himself a first-teamer. Serginio Dest. Went to Barcelona. He's just now joined PSV on loan. Mm. Again, not really worked out for him. So there's not... I don't think you can really point to any of that post-De Ligt, uh, Frankie de Jong team and say, these players have absolutely done brilliantly and there's you know no no question over any of the rest of that squad whatsoever. So not, not to sort of paint all of them in the same light, but just to say with Gravenberch as the example at the minute, it's definitely something to be aware of. There's this... Something there where as good as they were at that moment, they're not all at the minute able to take on that next step in the first couple of years after leaving Ajax. No, exactly. And like it goes back further than that, Carl. 
You go back to the 90s, Patrick Cliver, did he come anywhere close to living up to his potential? Not even slightly. Never even, never even sniffed the level that was expected of him. Yeah, he scored goals in places, but when Patrick Cliver broke through at Ajax, he was expected to be one of the best strikers in the world. He never came close to that. Mario Melchiot never got close. Um, you move into the, the 2000s, and you've got Vernon Anita, who was the next big thing, went to Newcastle, flop. Ryan Babel. Like, I don't know if people remember how highly rated Ryan Babel was, but when we signed Ryan Babel and Fernando Torres in the same summer, Babel was more highly rated by a lot of scouts. Babel was the next Henri in waiting, and we signed him and he was nothing of the sort. He might have been a Henry Winter, but he certainly wasn't a Thierry Henry. Um, Irby Emanuelson looked the business for Ajax, bang average everywhere else. Nigel de Jong never quite became the player he was expected to. Sim de Jong, disaster everywhere outside of Ajax. I mean, Schneider had a great career, but didn't reach the levels he was expected. The same would be said of Van der Vaart. Gregory Vandeville, when he came through, he was the next Lillian Turan. He had a very uninspiring career. You know, there's a lot of players have come through that Ajax Academy over the years with all manner of hype and not gone on to succeed. And even some of the ones you mentioned that left before Gravenberch broke in, like does anyone actually look at Frankie de Jong and Matthias de Ligt and think, this is exactly what I thought they'd be? No. Matthias de Ligt right now is not one of the top 40 centre-backs in world football. And I genuinely thought when he was 17, 18, we're looking at the guy who, by this stage, will be the best defender in the world. And he's nowhere close He's getting worse year on year. Frankie de Jong is still living on his reputation from when he was at Ajax as well. He's had moments for Barcelona. He has not been consistently good for Barcelona at all. That's why Barca were very happy for him to leave a year ago. But he insisted on staying. It's why they would sell him now if an offer came in. But he insists on staying. And those two performed at a much, much higher level for Ajax than he did. Like, his was fleeting moments of, wow, that's really impressive for an 18-year-old. It's not like he put together a masterclass season at 18 years of age. That didn't happen. He had moments where he looked exceptionally talented. And then he bought into his own hype. And then when he was compared to Pogba, he took all the bad aspects of Pogba, none of the good ones that we'd seen at Juve. And frankly, that's the player he's been ever since. And there's nothing you hear that's positive. Nothing. Nobody nobody at Bayern has a good word to say of him. And I don't hear many from the Ajax side coming out to defend him either. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how, how he's advised. I mean... Like I said, we, we've 
I, he wasn't ready to leave Ajax. He was talking about him about him leaving Ajax two years before he left, which tells me he's maybe badly advised. But he wasn't ready to go when he went. He needed more time there, and just like Patrick Clivert and his own, and his son Justin, he left too early because he got an idea about where he was and what he was going to do, made a move, and he has been an unmitigated disaster for Bayern Munich. Like, Thomas Tuchel won't even entertain putting him in the game at the moment, let alone starting him. So, I don't know. Like, if... I know there's been some turmoil at, at Bayern. I know there has. But I've seen some people go, oh, but look who was blamed, Mane and Gravenberch, and try and make out like this is some sort of race thing. Sadio Mane stank the place out for Bayern last season. Stank the place out. Was washed when we sold him. We fucking knew he was washed because we'd watch him being garbage for 18 months, then have that good six months when he moved central. He went to Bayern, he had a good month maybe, and was dreadful after that. And Ryan Gravenberch was dreadful. This has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that those two stank the place out. And two managers gave up on both of them. And it, it doesn't speak well to me, Carl, when two managers who are highly regarded for their development ability with young players give up on a young player, in Tuchel's case, in only a matter of months. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, it is a bit of a concern. I mean, it could obviously be environment, club, settlement, whatever, because two managers is still the same club. So, you know, maybe you give him a bit of a pass based on that. But it's supposed to be a clean slate, obviously, and he's obviously not made the most of the opportunity or this season in pre-season or whatever it is. So, I mean, price, if it's, um, you know, a, a case where there is a lowered amount or a loan with an opportunity to buy later on then maybe it's a squad filling purpose thing but certainly not at the the rates that we've we've seen in the media the last couple of days i don't think that seems to be the best use of whatever funds we have left no it doesn't um, here, here, two more names for the for the looked incredible at ajax but were actually big flops once they left uh davinson sanchez and andy van der Meide, who was one of the more highly regarded players to come through that ajax academy like, there is a litany of players who have flopped coming out of there because for whatever reason, like, 
Hakim Ziyech is another one. The guy looked unbelievable with Ajax. Came to the Premier League. Was a disaster. Chelsea can't sell him now. Like, there's loads of these players. And it's not just Ajax. It's the it's the, the Eredivisie in general now. Like, the ones who come out and do really well are rare over the last 10, 12 years. Before, it was like maybe 50-50. Now, it's maybe, nine, may, maybe 10% of them will do really well at an elite level team. Ajax definitely comes with a buyer beware sticker. Um, Two more really quickly for you. Yeah. Would you, would you revisit the Calvin Phillips, which has again reared its head in the last few days, or is our position significantly weakened to go into negotiations with Man City of all people? And secondly, Divock Origi has been linked overseas with uh, Sheffield United randomly, um, which is a bit of a come down from AC Milan, obviously, but it's not been great for him over there. If I was Sheffield United, I wouldn't be buying any former Liverpool strikers with Champions League winners' medals after the Brewster fiasco. Um, and I certainly don't think I'd buy Divock, to be honest. Um, I think Divock had a spell and has made people forget what he largely was as a Liverpool player. Um, Calvin Phillips. <clears throat> I, I, I like Calvin Phillips. As a player, I really do. I just don't know what what sense that move makes for us. Like, what is he, 27 now? He's coming off a season where he was injured for the most part. He had a big injury in his last season at Leeds and missed a chunk of the season there too. I mean, does he improve us? Yes, absolutely. But, like, there, there are at least two or three really good options out there for us to go and get. Are they going to cost a bit more than we'd like to spend? Yeah, they are. But that's partly our own fault because we're the ones that went and lobbed in $111 on Moises Caicedo. So just pay the fucking money. Just go go to Crystal Palace and say, look, Whatever the price is on Decure, we'll pay it. We might need to you, we we might need you to work with us a little bit on it, but we will pay your fee because we need this player. And my hope and what a journalist suggested to me is that Palace have asked for time to find a replacement. And when Sammy Mockbull went on, I think the Red Men, and said that when he asked around at Palace, it was greeted with silence and secrecy. That kind of aligns with the idea that, yeah, there's a deal potentially ongoing there. But it, it might not happen till the last day or two of the window because Palace want to get the replacement in first. Or, or actually, sorry, before might want to finish, might want to spend some money because today they've been linked with a right back. Over the weekend, they were linked with Dean Henderson and this was a club that had no money to spend a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, We have a question from Tom James, Carl. Simple yes or no. Is Jurgen Klopp the Liverpool manager 
to begin the 24-25 Premier League season? Is this a do I think? It can be a do you think? It can be a whatever. Whatever way you want to look at it. Yes. I think Liverpool are a club which is fairly static and not a lot of change happens quickly. I think the change that we've seen in midfield is only, and I do mean only because there was an unexpected market for a few players this summer. Otherwise, I don't believe that we would have had anywhere near the turnover that we have had in the end. Um, I think that that was entirely necessary. I said that multiple times before the summer, but I think we've got very, very lucky in the manner of who we can get out and how much we get for them. And it's given us an opportunity, but by the same token with scale of that, renewal now will come uh, less of an expectation. I think that we can immediately challenge again and that, you know, there's a an easy amount of grace to say, well, it needs time to, you know, new system, new people, new players, all the rest of it. And I don't expect that there will be rapid change as a result. I think next summer is already shaping up to be just as busy as this one. And potentially more so, because this might be the... Here's another question for you. Is this Mohamed Salah's last season for Liverpool? Yeah, I think that one's much more likely. Because Salah's not our main shooting threat anymore, even if he does end up top goal scorer, and I don't think that that sits all that great with him. Yeah, I I think this is Salah's last season. I also think it's Klopp's last. I do. I think this is Klopp's last season. Um, Now... I'm I'm not basing that on anything other than sort of a gut feeling. But with Mo, I think he'll go to Saudi Arabia. I think we'll get a big fee. My concern, Carl, is I don't trust the club with the way it's been operated at the moment and who's making the final decision on recruitment. I don't trust them to get next summer right because they haven't managed to get this summer right. And this summer should have been easy. Once you got Henderson and Fabinho out the door, this summer should have been easy. You had Alexis, you had Dominic. It was a very straight path once you got Henderson and Fabinho out the door. You knew Naby was going, you knew Milner was going, and you knew Ox was going. You've known that for months. Now, Jürgen may well have tried to keep Milner, which would be no surprise um, because, you know, poor Jürgen is terrified without his, his, his blankies. But he knew that they, those players were leaving. He, he's had months to get this right and he hasn't gotten it right. And he got last summer wrong as well. And I don't see any reason that you'd trust him to get it right next summer unless the owners tell Jürgen, you're going back in your box a director of football's coming in over you and you will answer to them and they will be in charge of recruitment. And you will still have your input, but you will not be the final decision maker. And that fella beside you there, he definitely won't be involved in anything to do with the recruitment process anymore. It does need to go back to the setup as it was, even you know, regardless of who has the final yes or no the process and the input and the influence, let's say, in terms of how it's done, that definitely needs to be reverted. But, you know, you can't do anything with it, of that without but, getting but the right But will he accept that? Will he oh, accept well, that? Well, I think he has to. I, I don't really think that there's, there is a, a will he or won't he. I, 
don't think you necessarily give an employee the choice. Oh no, I, I would, no, no. What I'm saying is, I wouldn't give him a, a say in it. I wouldn't no, even no. ask his opinion on it. No, I'm so, saying, uh, do, does he then get the hump and think, right? Well, that's that's me. I'll, I'll head off next summer, and I'll go well, do something else. Look, that's his decision, and obviously, every manager, every player has to decide that themselves. And to be honest, I think that's fine. But this isn't Jurgen Klopp's club; it's Liverpool. So we yeah. we discuss things from the Liverpool perspective, and I think the right thing for Liverpool is to do that. You know, yeah. give Jurgen the opportunity to say if he's happy or he isn't happy, and why. And let that be absolutely factored in. But unless he's got a massively compelling reason, I kind of think you just say, sorry, but no, look at this summer. This summer is not a massively compelling reason. Certainly not so far. 10 days to go, whatever. But the expectation is not of an enormous turnaround in successes. You know, we may still add someone who will be important, but that doesn't make this summer a success in the manner that has happened. And there still has to be a change in who does it. No, they, I mean, they can sign Czech to Kure tomorrow and this summer will still have been a, a shit show. Even though we'll have gotten three good players in, four good players, including Endo, but three good starters, three potentially great starters, this summer will have been a shit show and the process is broken at Liverpool. And that's the big issue here is that the process is broken. So what the owners need to do in September is, is future endeavour Jörg Schmatke, Thank him for, I, I was going to say all his hard work, but I mean, he's been in a beat to doing fuck all. So, you know, w- wish him the best in his future endeavours. Send him off to a beta. Go and find the very best person you can to come in as your new sporting director with real oversight, with real decision-making power, not some admin role where they'll be answering to Jürgen, where they come in and Jürgen... Jürgen answers to them in a lot of ways. And if Jürgen doesn't like it, then he can lump it. And if he chooses to go next summer, as long as we have a great structure in place, if we go and appoint a very good manager, not even a great manager, like a Deserby, an Amram, one of those very good room-to-develop type of managers, I think overall we'd be better off as a club with a great structure and a very good manager rather than a train wreck structure and a great manager. But maybe that's just me. I think the last few years have proven that obviously Klopp has had a massive, massive input and a massive effect on the success that we've had. But the structure is what made that possible in the first place. Because Klopp was here at the beginning and started to turn things around slowly, but unless the rest was already bringing him in better people, allowing him to focus on the work he was good at and all the rest of it, we would have just, we would have got better because he's a better coach, but we wouldn't have got to the levels that we had to have, that we have reached over the last few years. No, and this is the thing, like when he just focuses on coaching and just does that part of the job and can commit 100% of his own resources, his time, his, you know, his mental capacity to just coaching, we are nigh on unstoppable as long as we have the right structure in place. The problem is, Carl, that what he's become is he's become our St. Wenger post David Dean's departure, where he has complete autonomy across everything. And now everything is chaos. The recruitment is chaos. There will be more people leaving after this window. 
the medical side and sports science side, according to that piece that that Simon Hughes had in the Athletic a couple of months back, is is an absolute sideshow. So, like, th- this is this is the risk of putting too much power in one person's hands in a modern club. There's a reason no other club gives their managers this much power. Like Guardiola doesn't have as much control at City as Klopp has at Liverpool because Guardiola doesn't want it because he knows that it's better if the likes of Bergerstein and what's the other guy's name, Serrano, if they take care of that stuff and just let him do what he's great at. Bergerstein. What did I say? Bergerstein. What's it? Is that wrong? I'm, I'm leaving it as that for forevermore alongside Iramendi. I don't know. Whatever his name is. That guy, Cheeky, and the other fella. The, the Cheeky two and boys. Ferran. Ferran, yeah. Is it Ferran Serrero? Serrano? Yeah. Close enough. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah, him. Those two. They take care of all the running of the club. They do all the recruitment stuff. They do all the decision-making. They, of course, let Pep know what's going on, but they don't bow to his every will. He doesn't walk in and make demands of them. He just does what he's paid to do and what he's great at, and look at the success they have. Because they're a well-oiled machine. Yes, there's cheating, but they're a well-oiled machine. Um. Anyway, you think he'll still be here for next season? Do you? I don't. I think this is his last season. I don't. I'd like to be wrong. But then there's also part of me that just thinks maybe maybe nine years is enough. You know? He'll be he'll be nigh on nine years at the end of this season. And maybe that's long enough. And maybe at that point change is the best thing for everybody. But we'll wait and see. What's the threshold for you? Like, where do we have to finish? I don't think say... it'd be a thing where, well, I think if we miss top four again, I think his job would be in peril. But okay, I, I, I assume I, in top four is, is, you know, a danger moment anyway. But for you to change your mind. Well, I would want to... him out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to say, all right, now I think that it's the right thing for Liverpool to push on again and see if we can be better. Like, is it fourth? If we finish fourth, is that just this is pointless? and anybody else could have done this and we can get better with a change? Or is it like third and only two points off second? Where where are you looking at? And See, saying, it depends on how we finish this window, Carl, because as things stand with the current group of players, I think fourth would be an achievement without a holding midfielder there. Whereas a Decoure raises the ceiling of this team drastically to the point where I think they could get second. Right now, I'd look at us and say, we'll finish fourth or fifth. If we get to Kure, I think we can finish second. I think we can win the Europa League. Um, what, I, what I need to see more is, is a willingness to accept change behind the scenes. I'm, I'm less worried about what takes place on the pitch in this upcoming season. I'm mo- more worried about what goes on behind the pitch, because this is obviously a big, important summer for us, but next summer is already shaping up to be as important, if not more, if Mo is going, 
So I need to see Jürgen ceding control to people who are experts in recruitment because there's no point in us finishing third this season, Jürgen marching into next summer with the same attitude and approach as he had this summer, hiring some other retired German in the acting sporting director slash Patsy role and then spending all summer obsessing over a player that doesn't want us to try and replace Mo and going into next summer and it'd be a shit show, going into the following season, it'd be a shit show again. Like, as it is, we're looking at basically wasting a year of another year of Salah's career, another year of Virgil's career, another year of Alisson's career, while these lads are in their prime. And, and Thiago as well. Like, that's four genuinely world-class players who are looking at the third season in four that is going to be wasted on them because for one reason or another, the club is underprepared. And if it's the same thing going into the following season, well, then that's just a shambles as well. So if we finish fifth this year, but Jürgen seeds control, we rebuild the structure, and we're looking at next summer thinking, right, Mo is going to go but we very clearly have the right people in place to go and get the right players to come in. We're going to spend the money because Jürgen is no longer going to keep the the checkbook hidden in his arse crack. We're going to go and we're going to do this properly. Then that's fine. I'd take fifth this year if that's what happened. But if we finish third and he goes into next summer thinking, well, I'm doing everything here. So Mo's going, but... The player I've decided I want is, I don't know, Vinicius. And he just obsesses over him all summer and we don't do anything. Well, then we're, we're in a far worse position again. So for me, it's more about what happens off the field than what happens on the field in terms of where I'll stand with Jürgen. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Any other transfers around the Premier League we should touch on very quickly and if not, then which clubs have impressed and unimpressed you the most in the first two game weeks? Um. One transfer, Mitrovic leaving Fulham to go to Al-Halil. I, I do just worry now about Fulham and how they'll replace him because that's their their best player, the talisman, their goal scorer. I don't know where they go to replace him now. 
Um, other than him, oh, I quite like Mavroponos to uh, to West Ham. I think that's a decent deal. Fifteen million on add-ons. I think it's a better deal than signing Maguire for thirty. Uh, as for who's impressed, to to me, Brighton are the best footballing team in the league in terms of what they play and what they produce. I I I genuinely blown away watching them. They're sensational. Like the the way they build up is so clever. And it's intricate, but it's really simple in many ways. Like, they wait you out. They hold the ball. They wait for you to glitch on it. And then they attack the space you've just left them open. And they build through that space. And they build primarily on the right-hand side, unless it's a counter. If it's a counter, it'll quickly break down the left. But if it's... If it's a measured build-up, they build on the right and they overload to the right and they drag you across to the right. And what they're doing all of this time, all of these simple passes, is they're bringing one more of your players across to your left. And they're leaving your right back and your right winger isolated against Matoma and Astupinen. And if they get 2v2 against your defence, and I don't care what team you are, God bless you because there's no stopping those two. They are incredibly gifted players. So Brighton impressed me hugely. And to be honest, Brentford continued to impress me. No Ivan Tony, but yet they got two goals last weekend against Spurs. They went to Fulham and got three this weekend. They're playing really nice football. I think Nathan Collins has settled in very quickly and looks good. So... Yeah, they're, and, and to be fair, Spurs. I was really impressed by what I saw from Spurs against United. They were still a little bit open at the back, but that's a flaw in the Ange system that takes a little bit of time to work out. It took about took about 10 weeks at Celtic before he fully got them locked in. And the, the way he solves that is just by being better with the ball. Um, but, you know, he took over at the start of this summer that team has a real identity already, a real identity already. And Ten Hag took over 15 or 16 months ago and United still have no identity at all. And to me, that's the difference between a great coach like Ange Postacoglu and someone that just looks good at Ajax but isn't actually all that good. Uh, On those three teams then very quickly, Brighton, um, have you seen a more Georgie Kinkladzi goal than other than Georgie Kinkladzi himself than Matoma's at the weekend? Oh, it was beautiful though. Like the the change of pace, the last little change of pace to go past the oh. last defender was stupid. Because he looks like he's running at full pelt, and then all yep. of a sudden he just accelerates. But but Carl, it doesn't look like it's any more effort to him. He just gets quicker with the same running motion. He doesn't look like it's any more effort to him and his balance and his strength because two of them Wolves defenders pulled out of his shirt and he just powered through them. Like that's something he didn't have last season. He didn't have that that power and core strength last year. So I think he's going to be scary to deal with this year and with, with that boy at left back as well. Purvis, Purvis is stupid and 
is the best left back in England right now, my for my money. Um, on West Ham, which I, you didn't actually mention, but just a question on their cha- changes as well. Um, what did you make of James Ward-Prowse's debut, let's say? Um, a lot of running, because they didn't have a lot of the ball. A lot of endeavour. A lot of sideways and backwards passes. But two assists, you know, one from a corner and one from a long ball. So he did what was required of him. The corners, like his set pieces are incredible. Um, if, if I was Pochettino, I would be losing my shit at the defending for the Antonio goal. I, I think I might have gone to Bowley and said, this has all been a mistake. I want to go home now. <laughs> Can someone call me a taxi? Because that is some of the most shambolic defending you'll ever see. Like it's a hopeful punt down the field by Ward-Prowse and somehow Mikel Antonio makes not only something out of it, makes a great goal out of it. I'd be fuming if I was Pochettino, though. And very quickly, other end of the, well, table scale of footballing will to live, Everton. (laughs) What do we make of them so far? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. That's a good Um, start, yeah. Now, we have to say, partly unfortunate, but even if not the actual injury, the, the fact that there is an injury, you should have expected this and made some sort of plan and attack. Calvert-Lewin's out again. Yeah. Yeah, Calvert-Lewin's out again. Iwobi's going to be out now for a little while as well. Why is Ashley Young starting in the Premier League in the year of our Lord 2023? If anyone can answer that, I'd love to know. Why did they play five central midfielders? And no wide players at all. Um, I, I, I don't know, Carl. There's the only thing. If I look at Everton Football Club as a whole, right? The only two things that give me any promise are the fact that the stadium is coming along. Now, obviously, horrendous incident with that young young lad that lost his life, but. You know, that that aside, the stadium is at least coming to life. So they, they have that to look forward to, to move into a new stadium. And the only other thing is Amadou Onana, who's not going to be there for very long because he's just, he's not shit. So he doesn't belong at Everton. But everything else about the place is dreadful. The mood is dreadful. The form is dreadful. The tactics are dreadful. Sean Dyche looks a little bit lost at the moment. There's no goals in the team. There's no defensive structure in the team. There's ball winning in midfield, but if you bypass their midfield or play it wide and go down the flanks, I mean, that's all Villa did. All Villa did was just attack down the wings and wait for Ashley Young to take a stupid throw in. They, they're the worst team in the league by a considerable margin, Carl. Uh, a considerable margin. Well, uh, I'll have you known that they are joint not in the relegation zone at the moment on zero points, so they're not technically by a wide margin the worst. Well, uh, on goal <laughs> difference, they are the bottom team in the league. Yes. And, you know, there's teams that have played less games in them than that are above them. So One, one game. Yeah, um, right, listen, the uh, game is a game. 
look, I think that, you know, normally we would say, oh, it's too early to panic, or oh, it's too early to be excited when it's at the other end of the table. But at the minute, you can see that it's not too early to panic because no. there's so much similarity from last season. And I think Everton fans already are mentioning this themselves, that, you know, Deitch called for change, but hasn't actually changed anything himself over the summer either. Yeah. So, yes, concerns. The other uh, one I want to touch on really, really quickly is Wolves, right? Because yeah, they were... Declan Hyde. Yeah, by 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 most people's assessment, really good against Man United, but incapable of doing anything other than closing their eyes and falling on the floor as soon as they got into the penalty box. But then were absolutely smashed asunder by Brighton. So my question to you is, were Wolves, Jekyll and Hyde, or were Man United even worse than we actually thought in the first place? Because they then went and played their second game and were not good against Tottenham at all. Mm. It, it, may, it may well be the latter. It may well be that United were worse than we thought. Now, I will say, the Brighton hammering of Wolves largely took place in the first 10 minutes of the second half. Like, Brighton were the better team in the first half, but Wolves were still in the game. And then Brighton blew the doors off them in the first 10 minutes of the second half. But, I mean, if we consider that you know that if you score once against Wolves, you're getting something. Sure, yeah, that's because they're not getting two. Approach. That's yeah. the thing. They're not getting two. Um, I, I don't want to take... No, I, I don't want to take credit away from them for the performance against Wolves because they played really well. And a couple of them in particular, Nunes was outstanding. Zhao Gomes was really, really good. And Matthias Cunha was, was just a menace. And he he made the um, the butcher, and I'm not sure what it is that that gentleman butchers. I can only assume mice because he's too little to butcher anything else. Uh, he made him look appallingly bad, appallingly bad. I think the Gary O'Neill appointment was a mistake. I don't think he's a particularly good manager. I think he got lucky last season because he had an owner who was willing to spend a lot of money to help them stay in the division. He's not going to get that at Wolves this season. I don't like the appointment of Gary O'Neill. I, I think Wolves are going to be in trouble. But what I will say is this. I've been more impressed by Wolves, a lot more impressed by Wolves in their two games than I have by Everton in their two games. I think there's a mark, a marked difference between what Wolves have done and what Everton have done, even though they've both got no points. Luton and Burnley have no points, but they played Brighton and City in their opening games and didn't play their second game. I think Everton and Sheffield United are the two teams that stand out to me as the poorest so far. Now, I want to see more of Luton, obviously. It may well be that they're in that mix. It may well be that Burnley are in that mix. It may well be that Wolves proved themselves to be in that mix. But for now... I'm looking at Everton and Sheffield United and I'm saying, I don't know if you're staying in this division because you just don't have the quality. Anything else we need to touch on before we wrap up this extra bonus, special, extended, unextended edition? No. Uh, the one thing I will say is, obviously, Crystal Palace are due to play Arsenal in a couple of hours and a lot of people will be looking to see if Decoure's name is in the Palace team. I expect it to be in the team because he's their player and it's their right to play him. 
I think what will be interesting just to watch for is his reaction at the end of the game. Does he go and wave and say goodbye? Because this could be his last home game for them. That's more what I'm interested in seeing in terms of how close a deal might be rather than whether or not Palace play him. Because, I mean, they need to win tonight. They need a result tonight. So I, I think they should play him. Even if a deal is semi-progress, but not, you know, not even at a fee agreed kind of space. If it's just sort of, we know what the rough outline of a deal is and we're confident this will get done, I'd play him. So I think it's more interesting what he does at the end of the game. Shouts off, applauding the fans. Dave Hendrick, I will let you get back to your holes. Cool. Take care of yourself. Have a good day, folks. Thanks for listening. We will see you later in the week when we're back to preview Newcastle away. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.